right, we are going to be in Luke this morning, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. We'll eventually get there before we finish. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 is where we'll be. Now, if you're not terribly familiar with the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, then uh, you can find the bulk of the information about that in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2. Uh, Matthew and Luke kind of cover different, different aspects. They cover different people and different events around the birth of Jesus Christ. And uh, we'll hit on a few of those today, but for time purposes, we won't read through all four of those chapters. But uh, perhaps it's good for us to sometimes uh, read the story of the birth of Jesus and be reminded of exactly uh, what took place. But the birth of Jesus led to something of much more significance. Of course, Jesus had to come, but he had to come for a reason. He had a purpose. He came to be the Savior of the world. I noticed this morning that our Christmas wreaths on the door are hung on our reef hangers from Easter that say, He is risen. And I said, boy, that's kind of fitting in a way because really that's what the birth of Christ is pointing us toward. That's the event that we celebrate. That's why we come uh, to church every Sunday. That's why we open our Bibles during the week. That's why we pray to the Lord. That's why we praise the Lord throughout our life because Jesus is risen. That's, that's, that's what it all is about. Now, we, we read about the birth of Jesus Christ, and we remember that, especially at this time of year that we call Christmas, but really what we are to celebrate is not the birth of Jesus Christ, because we don't see that anywhere in Scripture where we are commanded to do so, nor do we see anyone in Scripture ever celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. But we do celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, at least in some sense, because it leads to what we are really called to celebrate, what the Bible says we are to focus on, what we are to build our faith and our trust in. And that is that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, came and that he gave his life as a ransom for many so that our sins could be forgiven, that he was crucified and that he was resurrected, that he conquered sin, that he conquered death, and that through him we will receive the same victory over sin and over death, and we will experience an eternity of peace with him, the peace that he came to bring. And that's oftentimes what we think about in this Christmas season. We think about peace. We think about the prophecies in the Old Testament about the Prince of Peace who was coming. And that very Prince of Peace who was spoken of as coming in the Old Testament was none other than Jesus Christ. And we see that Prince of Peace, the Son of God, in Matthew 1 and 2 and in Luke 1 and 2 as it tells us about uh, the coming birth of Jesus, as it tells us the events that surround that. So let's pray. And we'll talk a little bit about that this morning. Father God, we come to you today and we thank you for these good words. And we thank you for Jesus. And God, I thank you that, that he was willing, dear Lord, and loved us enough to humble himself. To, be, to take the form of a, of a humble servant. To be born of a humble birth, dear Lord. To die humbly on a cross. To suffer and bleed and die for our sins so that he could be resurrected by you, dear Lord. And we just thank you for Jesus, and I pray that we are in awe of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And God, I pray that as we read these words today, that you just would touch our heart. I pray that we would just recognize the significance of what it means to have a Savior who has come, and to have a Savior who is coming back for us one day, dear Lord, and a Savior that we will one day be with. And so God, I pray that if there's one who has never 
put their faith in Jesus, who does not follow Jesus today, that your Holy Spirit would convict them through these words. That God, as we study your word today, that they would realize and recognize and acknowledge that a Savior has come, that the Messiah has come, and that is Jesus Christ. And I pray that they'd put their faith in him, God. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. I pray that you would uh, help me to preach and teach in a way that brings glory to you, take away any nerves or anxiety or any attacks the devil may bring on me as I speak this morning or any of us as we hear this morning, that we would give our ears to you and our hearts to you today and that your Holy Spirit would move in this place. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I remember as a kid, and probably most everybody in here remembers at some point, a Christmas play you were in. If you've never been in a Christmas play or Christmas program, chances are you've probably seen one. And we know how the Christmas play works. We know the roles. We know the lines because most of what we see in our Christmas play are things that we have taken from Scripture. I say most of which because sometimes maybe we fill in the gaps of things that perhaps Scripture doesn't tell us. I remember years ago when I was a kid, I don't know how old I was. I was pretty young, and we were having our annual Christmas play. And if I'm not mistaken, it was Stephen Ryder who had the job of the innkeeper. And he was to stand on this stage, and there was a table here at his inn where Mary and Joseph were going to come to. And his line was, he was young at the time, his line was to say when they said, Look, we're coming, we need a room in your inn. And as the innkeeper, he would say, I don't have any rooms. All I have is this stable, a horse stable, a place for your animals to stay. Of course, being young, he was standing behind a table, and he said, all I have is this table. And uh, that's a, a funny line, and it was, it was funny at the time. But we think about those, those parts in Christmas plays, the innkeeper or the wise men or whatever it may be. But the fact of the matter is that the Christmas story may not really have occurred in the way that we remember it. In our mind, we've seen these Christmas programs and taken part in them so many times that maybe in our mind we make the birth of Jesus into something that it's not exactly or that it was not exactly. Now, that's not to say that our Christmas programs are bad or that we are evil because maybe we don't always exactly get it right. But there are some things that maybe we do that kind of take away from exactly what took place during the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, the fact of the matter is, and this may come as a shock to you because we have an innkeeper in every Christmas program that we've ever had, but there's no scripture in the Bible at all about an innkeeper. Well, that may come as a shock because there has to be an innkeeper. There has to be someone who was at the inn. And we see in, the, in, in scripture, especially in the King James Version, that it says that, Mary and Joseph went, and there was no room for them in the inn. But even the word inn there may not accurately represent what took place during that time. The word, uh, Greek word there that, that, that represents inn, or what we would think about as like a little hotel, a place to stay, well, that probably wasn't exactly what took place for Mary and Joseph. Many translations will change the wording of that to something that's more appropriate. Uh, some of your translations may say something like, a lodging place. Now that's more representative 
of what it would have been. There probably wouldn't have been a hotel like we are accustomed to. It probably wouldn't have been that Mary and Joseph were traveling around Bethlehem and they tried the Motel 6 and they didn't have any rooms and they tried the Holiday Inn Express and they didn't have any rooms. It probably wouldn't have looked quite like that. And the very word that, that Luke uses to describe an inn there, or at least what is sometimes translated as an inn, is explained to us uh, more clearly at the end of the book of Luke. In Luke chapter uh, uh, 22, Jesus is telling his disciples uh, as they are preparing for the Passover meal to go into town and to find a place uh, that they are looking to stay at the guest room of this person's house. And the same room that Luke, uh, the same word that Luke uses there for guest room is the same word that Luke uses for the place that there was no room for Mary and Joseph at. And so it's likely that there may not have been an innkeeper in the way that maybe we tend to think of there being an innkeeper, but that simply there was some family housing or some community housing. And as they approached the place, there was nowhere for them to stay. Even if it wasn't an inn and there wasn't an innkeeper, the fact of the story is set up for us that there was no place for Mary and Joseph to stay. There was no comfortable place where there would have been good provisions. Now, we like good provisions, right? When we go places, when we are out of town, it's always no fun when we are traveling away from home. Even if you find a bed, it's not as comfortable as your bed. The shower is not as good as your shower. You can't ever get the water adjusted just right. You know just where to turn it when you get in at your house, but you go on the road and you turn it one millimeter too, too far, and the water's either blazing hot or freezing cold. And so when you travel, it's not comfortable even when you find a good place to stay. And Mary and Joseph could not find a good place to stay. And the story is set up for us by Luke in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Luke says there was only a place where animals would have been. There was a, there was a manger there, a feeding trough there. Uh, for years as a kid, I used to think a manger was a baby bed. I didn't realize until I was older that a manger is not a baby bed. A manger is a feeding trough that animals eat out of. And so not only did they have uh, uh, just not even a, a, a bad place to stay while they were on the road, they had probably about the most humble place that you could ever stay. They were staying in a place around where animals would have been. And there the Savior of the world, Jesus, was born. And he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and he was laid in a manger. We also see in our Christmas stories, we have the, uh, the, the wise men who come. After Jesus' birth, we see these wise men who come and they show up the night of Jesus' birth and they bring these gifts. But the fact of the matter is, is that the wise men probably didn't arrive to quite some time after the birth of Jesus. Now in our stories that we see in our, in our mind, in our Christmas programs, we've, we've, we've made this story of the birth of Jesus Christ that includes an, an inn and an innkeeper and wise men who arrive only a few hours after the birth of Jesus. But really in Scripture, it doesn't lay things out that way for us at all. The wise men arrive sometimes later, as we see in Matthew's account. Probably any time within the first couple of years of Jesus' birth. And so you may be saying, well, why are you telling us all this stuff? You're, you're, you're shattering our whole view of what the Christmas story is. Well, I may be doing that. But really what I'm trying to do is get us to the core of the Christmas story. We have all of these things that we remember that maybe we insert that possibly did not happen. 
But what do we have then if we kind of rip apart our, 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 in our mind what the Christmas story is? What do we have when we take away the innkeeper in the inn and we take away the wise men? What are we left with in the story? Well, we are left with a couple of things that are very significant. One, we are left with the story of a humble servant. Now, when I'm speaking of a humble servant here, I'm speaking of Mary. Now, if you want to flip with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. We're going to look at just the first few words of that this morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Now, the angel had appeared to Mary in the verses prior to this. And the angel had said, look, you're fisting to give birth to the Savior of the world. Now I'm paraphrasing here. And Mary was thinking, how can it be me? I've never been with a man. And the angel said, look, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Now, can you imagine for just a moment what that must have been like for Mary? Mary was probably a young woman, probably a teenager, probably not very old. Can you imagine what she must have felt, one, being approached by an angel? Regardless of what an angel would have said to her, it would have been a scary thing. Because oftentimes in Scripture when we see angels appear, almost the first thing they say is, do not be afraid. That's almost always the first thing they say. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Now you can imagine this, this young lady who is preparing to be married to Joseph, her husband, and lo and behold, an angel of the Lord appears to her. And he doesn't just tell her any news. He says, Mary, you are about to be the mother of the Messiah. You are about to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Now process that for a second. That's a lot to consider. I would probably say, wait, am I dreaming? Wait, why, why is God choosing me? I'm not, I'm not sufficient. God, there are other people who are better. God, I can't do this. God, what are people going to say? I'm not even married yet and I'm going to have a child. What are people going to say when they see that I'm pregnant? God, I'm not the one for you. God, I'm too young for this. God, I'm not good enough for this. We can imagine a lot of things that Mary may have said, and we can imagine those things because those are things that, honestly, that we say. Now, we may not have had an angel appear to us. I don't know. Maybe you have. Chances are you probably haven't had an angel appear to you in the same way that Mary did. But I wonder what my response would be. Should an angel of the Lord appear to me today and say, Shan, this is what God is calling you to do. What would your response be? Now, God's not going to come to us today in an angel and appear to us and say, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. God's not going to speak to us in the same exact way that he did to Mary. But I wonder if God speaks to us today what our response is to him. He may not speak to us in the form of an angel, but he may speak to us through the Holy Spirit. He may guide us into something he wants us to do and something he's calling us to do. 
And we need to ask ourselves, what would my response be should the Lord call me to do something great? Well, let's look at Mary's response. In verse 38, when the angel had appeared to Mary and told her all these things, Mary said, I am the Lord's slave. Boy, that's a good response, right? Here's this young woman who has just heard this amazing announcement. She has just seen the vision of this angel who told her this unbelievable news. And her response to God's calling in her life was, I am the Lord's slave. I am the Lord's servant. God, whatever you have called me to do, God, I am yours and I am ready to do what you have called me to do. Now, what is our response when the Lord calls us to do things today? Because chances are that the Lord does call you to do things sometimes. Maybe it's something that we would consider to be minor. Or maybe it's something that we would consider to be really difficult. What is our response? Our response may be like Mary's or it may not be. Perhaps our response when the Lord speaks to us is, I'm too weak. God, I can't do it. I'm too weak. God, I'm too afraid. This is too scary. What you have called me to, what you want me to do, how you want me to serve God, I am too afraid to do it. I can't take that step, God. What is going to happen to me? What are people going to say about me? God, I am too afraid. God, I'm unqualified. God, I don't have the education. God, I'm not a good speaker. God, I'm not gifted in this way and that way. God, I'm not a good people person. God, I don't pray good. God, I don't do good in big crowds. God, I'm not a good reader. God, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not cut out for this. I'm not qualified, God. I'm incapable. There's no way, God, that I could do this. The task you have called me to, God, what you have put before me, what you have placed on me, God, I'm incapable of doing it. God, I'm unwilling. God, I'm just not willing. God, I know what you're calling me to do. I believe that you're good. I believe that you're the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth. But God, I'm just not willing to serve you in that way. Now these are all responses that we may have if we feel God calling us to something, leading us to do something. These are some of the responses that we may have, or some of the responses I may have. Y'all may be better than me. Or maybe you just like me. Maybe some of these are the responses you've had when God's given you the opportunity to serve in some way. But the Christmas story starts with Mary, the mother of Jesus, getting some of the greatest news that anyone has ever gotten in the history of the world, and she says, God, I am your servant. God, I am your slave. Now, that's a great example for you and I to go by. A humble girl from a humble upbringing in the humble town of Bethlehem saying, God... Here I am. I'm your servant. 
Now, all of these excuses we can make are really not good excuses. And if you read through Scripture, you will see very quickly that these excuses don't hold up because the Bible is full of people who are too weak, who are unqualified, and who are incapable. And God used people who were too weak, unqualified, and incapable to lead his people, to work miracles, to split seas in half, to slay giants. That's just to name a few. And God used people who were too weak, unqualified, and incapable all throughout the Scripture to do marvelous things. And he was able to use them to do marvelous things because they had the same heart as Mary. Because they were servants of God. And they were willing to serve God in any way. And that's what Mary did. And what a beautiful thing we see in this story. We see a humble mother in Mary. But we also see that Jesus' very birth was humble. We serve a humble Savior. Perhaps humility may be the best word for us to use to think about when we think about the birth of Jesus Christ. There was nothing extravagant about it. There were no fancy baby showers. There was no getting ready. There was no special room that had been prepared with lots of toys and all of these things that we see in our world today. There wasn't a trust fund that was set up for Jesus. There was none of these things that we see. We see the Savior of the world who came from heaven and was born in a feeding trough. That's about as humble of a birth as you can get. And it's a birth that sets the tone for us for the rest of the life of our Savior. Because Jesus was humble in his birth, he was humble in his life, and he was humble in his death. He was the perfect example of humility from the time he took his first breath till the time he took his last. Jesus was a humble Savior. Perhaps that needs to be something that we think about, that we focus on, that we try to pattern our life after that of our Savior who came humbly, lived humbly, and died humbly. Are we living a life of humility today? Are we living a life of pride today? Well, we need to examine our lives and we need to see exactly what kind of life we are living but here we have the birth of Jesus from a humble mother who was willing to serve and a humble Savior who was willing to come. And I think that, that maybe the best, the best passages to describe the birth of Jesus Christ are those of Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. If we had to sum up the glorious birth of Jesus Christ. I believe Luke chapter 2 verse 8 
through 14 are the best verses to do that for us. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today a Savior, who is, the, who is Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Boy, what a glorious night that must have been. Jesus came of a humble birth from a humble mother, a humble birth in a feeding trough. And of all the ways that God could have announced that the Messiah had come, that the Savior of the world was here, that the one that people had been looking for for hundreds of years had finally come, of all the people that God could have revealed this message to, he revealed it to shepherds. He revealed it to a group of humble people. And boy, those shepherds, they heard that news, and like Mary, they were afraid when the angel appeared to them. But the angel said, don't be afraid, because I've got good news for you. Good news of great joy, that is for all people. Good news, that is for all people people and boy there was rejoicing there by the shepherds and by the angels and here these humble shepherds went before the very savior of the world that night praising god what a magnificent scene that must have been We see all of these humble people in the story of Jesus because that's really what it takes to come to Jesus is for us to be humble. It is humility that will draw us to the Lord. It is only humility that will cause us to follow the Lord, to serve the Lord, to trust the Lord. Those who are humble, when they hear the good news of great joy, they will humble themselves before the Savior. And even though the good news of great joy is for all people, not all people will humble themselves before the Savior. We see the response of the shepherds here on the night of Jesus' birth. And even later as the wise men came, boy, they came seeking the King. The wise men came seeking the king. But the king of the land of the time, King Herod, he was only seeking to destroy Jesus. There were some who were coming to seek the king and humble themselves before him. And there were others who didn't want anything to do with the king, King Jesus, the Messiah. 
And that really sums up all of our world because we are faced with the same decision today. We read these scriptures and we see in these scriptures the truth of God's word that God has sent the Messiah to us in Jesus Christ. And it is only through Jesus Christ that we are forgiven. It is only when we come to Jesus Christ and we repent and we humble ourselves before him and acknowledge him as Savior that he becomes the Savior in our life. But not everybody does that. There are some who hear that truth, who read that truth, and they humble themselves before Jesus. There are others who hear that truth and hear that good news, and they are not so different from King Herod. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. They'll do anything they can do to shut Jesus up to keep God's word from being spread, to keep the good news from being preached. There are some who want to destroy the gospel, but there are others who humble themselves before the good news of the gospel. Now I've got good news for you. Those who seek to destroy the gospel will never succeed. They will never succeed. They will never shut God's word up. It will always be. They cannot defeat the Messiah because they have already tried. And they killed him and God raised him from the dead. And we may look at our world today and we may say, boy, people don't care about God's word. You can't speak it. You can't hand it out. You can't tell people about Jesus. Pretty soon, it'll be where you can't even talk about Jesus. Wrong. I don't care how bad our world looks, and I don't care how much it may appear that the enemy has won, or that the enemy is quieting the gospel. I can assure you he is not. The enemy cannot quiet the gospel. The enemy cannot stop the Holy Spirit from doing work in this world. And as bad as our world may be, we serve a Savior who is already victorious. Amen. It's not that we're waiting on Him to be victorious. Oh, what are we going to do? People are taking Bible out of schools and people won't let you preach and people won't let you teach and people won't let you gather. What are we going to do? How is God going to help us? Well, I'll tell you, God's already won. We don't have to do anything but trust in Jesus. We don't have to do anything but live by God's word. And we don't have to do anything but tell other people the good news of the gospel. And the enemy will not prevail. Now, I say that full well knowing that there is much suffering that comes. It doesn't mean that when we share the gospel and do the work that there won't be suffering. There are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world suffering every day to do this work. They're suffering so that this good news can prevail. And you may not see it. You may not hear the stories about it always. But I can promise you this good news that these humble shepherds received 2,000 years ago is still making its way into the world today.
And there are still some who, just like those shepherds, hear that good news and they humble themselves before the Savior of the world. And I got good news for you. If this world is around for a million more years, guess what? There are still going to be people who are going to gather around and who are going to read the story of the birth of the Savior of the world. It's going to happen. Until the day that this world ends, there will be brothers and sisters in Christ who will be gathered around and will be saying glory to God in the highest in the same way that these angels did and in the same way that hopefully you and I are today. So what are we left with? What are we left with when we think about Jesus? When we think about the birth of Jesus? When we think about what took place in this instant? Yeah, maybe the story of Jesus' birth doesn't play out exactly like we remember. But what we need to remember more than anything is the humility that surrounds the birth of Jesus. The heart of Mary, who was willing to serve God under any circumstances, whatever he called her to do. The humility of a Savior who was willing to come and give his life for us so that we could be forgiven. And the humility of those who hear that good news and come to that Savior. We are left with these facts when we look at the birth of Jesus Christ. One, that Jesus, the Savior, was born. Two, that we are to give glory to God in the highest for what has taken place in the birth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And three, the very thing that Jesus promised to bring, he will one day bring in its fullness, and that is peace on earth. And the peace that Jesus brings, it can only be found in him. There is no peace in anyone else. And we may not see that peace in the way that we would like to in this world today, but I guarantee you for every one of us who humbles ourselves before the Lord, there's a certain peace that we experience. And we experience that peace on this earth, and we'll experience that peace in its fullness and its perfection one day when we are with the Lord, if we humble ourselves before Him and follow Him. Are you serving the Lord today? Is the Holy Spirit calling you? Is the Holy Spirit convicted you and you feel like, you know what, I've never followed Jesus today and I feel like God's calling me to follow Jesus. I feel like God's calling me to serve him in some way. Well, I'll tell you a good thing to say. Lord, here I am. I'm your servant. I'm your slave. God, I want to serve you. I want to follow you and I want to do what you call me to do. Maybe that needs to be your response today. Maybe you need to be humble like the shepherds. Of all the people that God could have used in Scripture, used a bunch of people who were not really spectacular, at least in the, in the, in the, in the eyes of the world, but they were spectacular because they followed God. And God wants each of us to come before Him. And He wants to use us in a mighty way today. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You this morning. We thank You for these good words, and I pray that You would help us to God, just trust you in all you call us to, that we would trust your word, that we would listen to your word, that we would stand firm in your word, dear Lord God. The world cannot shut your word up. It cannot stop your word from being preached.
And God, I pray that your word would continue to go out into all the world, God. That Jesus would be glorified. That people around the world will know that a Messiah has come. That a Messiah has given his life so that we could be forgiven. And God, help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to learn from the humility of Jesus himself. God, help us to be willing and faithful servants. God, help us to trust you and know that there are things that you may call us to, God, that we are not able to do, that we are incapable of doing on our own, God. But let us know that if you have called us, that you will help us. And I pray that you would help one in this room, God. Maybe there are some who are struggling today. Maybe there's some things they're going through and they just need some help and some deliverance. And God, I pray that you just give them that today. God, I pray that if there's one in this room that has never trusted you and put their faith in Jesus today, that they would humble themselves before Jesus. Today, that they would experience that very peace that your word talks about. The very peace that Jesus himself talks about. And a peace that only comes through him. And God, I pray that we'd glorify you today for your son, for his coming, for his giving of his life, dear Lord, so that we could be forgiven. I pray that we glorify you in Christmas, dear Lord, but that we glorify you every day of the week. And I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.